Um, we're going to open to a couple of scriptures. Put your finger in Jeremiah 10:23. That is Old Testament. That's about as much as I'm going to explain. Jeremiah 10:23. If you can open up there, put your finger there. On um, the next one, just put a finger there for a second, and then hold on to 1 Corinthians 6:19, and I'll be reading this too. So we'll go over in a second. 1 Corinthians 6:19, and I'm going to start by reading. So you got two fingers, and then we're reading Galatians 2.20. I'm going to read over some scriptures real quick, and then we're going to, uh, and then we'll get into the word and explain everything. Galatians 2.20, if you are there, says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then where your finger is, we're going to jump jump back to Corinthians 6.19. Since your finger's already there. Do, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That is where he dwells. Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And then lastly, jumping back to where your finger is on Jeremiah 10, 23. It says simply, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to direct his steps. Jesus, thank you so much for this word that you're going to speak today, Father. I pray that you would make it come alive in our hearts and that you would be glorified, that we would know you more intimately, and that, uh, and that you would lead us closer, more intimate with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me start by saying this, um, first and foremost, that God's heart from the beginning of time until now and continuing on, his first priority, his number one concern from the time he created humans is and always will be to be intimate with his people. He created us because he loves us, he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to, be, uh, he wants to be close to us and wants us to know him because in by knowing him, we know who we are and we can walk in our destiny, we can be more fulfilled, and we can walk according to the way that he wants us to walk, which ultimately is for our good. He's not looking for us to live by a set of rules. That's not what our God is about. He really wants us to walk in a knowledge of him. Okay, but we as humans do in the, in the spiritual like guys do in the natural. How many of you guys know that guys in the natural, we compartmentalize? Someone know what I'm talking about? We compartmentalize, and that's what guys like to do in the natural. If you've been in a relationship or you just have a brother or something, you just kind of know how the way guys work, at least over for me, my wife, and the more that uh, we've been married for five years, the more I go on, the more I realize how much of a guy I am. It's one thing at a time, one focus, and she tells me at least once a day, honey, you don't listen to me. Honey, I am listening, but when I'm not looking at you, I can't. I'm not in your box. I'm, I'm in this box. And it, it, we were one thing at a time, one focus, and so we compartmentalize. And women are completely different in that they, in general, don't compartmentalize. Everything's connected. Everything's attached because it's all feelings-based, and feelings are never-ending. They just continue on, and they merge together, and, and everything's connected. And so my wife can be thinking about ten different things at once, and so it, for me, it's just overwhelming. But guys like to compartmentalize. One thing at a time, do it well. When we're done, put the box back, go on to something else. And if we get overwhelmed, we just go to the nothing box. 
and we're playing video games or watching a movie or we're, we're just doing nothing just to get away for a moment. And, and that's the way guys work. But the, how guys are in the natural, we tend to be in the spiritual. And maybe that's why women in general are more spiritual than men because they don't compartmentalize. I'm not sure. Who can say for sure? Except God. But, um, but in general, we compartmentalize when we invite God into our home because when Jesus died on the cross... He accomplished something that, that from the beginning of time, God was looking to accomplish. He wants to be intimate with his people. And so, he, you know, leading, the peop- leading God's people out of the wilderness, trying to get them into, into the promised land. Um, God wants to be close to his people. But only after Jesus died and was resurrected and sent his Holy Spirit, were we able to have the Holy Spirit live inside of us. Ultimate intimacy. Having God dwell in you to work from the inside out, to be intimate, so he can lead us day by day and communicate with us directly. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through an angel or the Virgin Mary or anyone else. We can communicate directly with God. He now sees us as Jesus, as the Holy Spirit. And it it doesn't make sense. I can't explain it fully. All I know is that that's what Jesus accomplished, that we can have direct communication and intimacy with God. And for those of us who have done so, that happens by inviting God into our hearts and saying, Jesus, come into my life. I can't do it. I want you to live in me and live through me. And for most of us in this room, hopefully we've made that decision. Um, But too often times, I I found out over the time that even though I've invited God into my life, I realize that I'm still sinning. That's kind of weird. I keep messing up, and that doesn't make sense because i got Jesus in me, so I should be done sinning, right? But it, the, the salvation is a process. It's, it's uh, you know, as God begins to transform us from the inside out, we begin to see, see things change in our behaviors, in our lifestyles, in our attitudes, in our language. The, as God begins to come into our hearts, it is a process as he begins to move us toward righteousness. And so I found out as time goes on that there are parts of my life that God still needs to touch, that God still needs to enter into, and messes in my house that he still needs to clean up. Isn't that right? You guys can feel free to respond and say, yay, I like that if you guys do. <laughs> Thanks, baby. That's why I married you, my cheerleader. So we like to keep Jesus in the entryway. We invite him in, and just like in the video, say, hey, fix my problem. And I don't know about you, but I know when I first gave my life to God, I was thinking about, God, my parents are mad at me, and, you know, I've got girl problems, or my friends are ticked, or, you know, I've got financial problems. Whatever my problems are at the time, I say, God, help me. I'm messing up my life. Come fix it, right? And so God comes in, and he loves us, and he's faithful, so he might come in and fix it for us. He might fix that problem, but how many of you know he doesn't want to stop there? He's not looking to stop there. But we try to keep him right there in the entryway, don't we? We say, hey, Jesus, thanks so much, but, you know, hey, this is, this is about good enough. This is about where I want you to stop. If you could turn with me to Philippians 1.6, if not, I'm just going to read anyway. You can write down the scriptures, though. Philippians 1.6 says, be confident of this. Be confident. I'm telling you, have confidence in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus uh, that's not anytime soon in, in my standards. He is not going to stop working that good work in you. He wants to continue on. So when you open up that door, say, Jesus, come in. How many know he does not want to stop there? I love your entryway, but I got more to see. If, if you're going to give me your house, I want to see the whole house. I want to see what you got for me, and I want to help you make it better. Okay, but, uh, but he's not going to stop there. 
Hebrews 4, 12-13. I'll read it if you want to come back to it later. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered, laid bare before the eyes of him who, who, uh, to whom we must give account. But to me, that's a little scary. Because I can go ahead and change my behavior, and I'll stop swearing, I'll stop drinking, and I'll stop some of the outward appearances of sin. But when he starts judging my thoughts and my attitudes, how many of you know, sometimes I don't think the best things. Is it just me? Oh, okay, it's just me. All right, that's cool. That's all right. I'm preaching. All right, whatever. You guys are liars. I know everyone else has bad attitudes sometimes too. Everyone else has bad thoughts. I'm not talking just dirty thoughts, but just bad attitudes or just resentful thoughts or um, you know, doubts of God or whatever it may be. Um, even just struggling with the lies of the enemy, trying to tell you that you're not worth something. Those are, those are not God thoughts. And those are things that need to be submitted to God. But when he starts judging my thoughts and attitudes and getting in there, that's where I'm like, hey, close the door, God. You can't see that. That's kind of a, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit of shame of that sometimes. So I found, it, and uh, there may be multiple responses to the mess in your house, depending on what your mess may be, but I know I've picked out at least, at least three or four responses I want to go over with you real quick as far as when there's a mess in your house, how do we respond? When God does come into our house and we know there's a mess, what do we do with it? So there's, there's uh, four responses to the mess. Number one is comfort. If you're writing this down, take notes. Number one is comfort. When there's a mess in our house, how many know sometimes we just get comfortable with it? We've got dysfunction in our lives. We've got a mess. Our finances are out of order. You know, our kids are not behaving well and undisciplined. Um, you know, at work, you know, we're, not, we're wasting time at work. Whatever the mess may be, sometimes we just get comfortable with it. Am I the only one? I realize that I waste too much time, and you know what? That's just the way I am. I'm just a procrastinator. That's just the way it is. And all of a sudden, we begin to live as if that's the norm. We begin to become associated with that and believe that that's the way it's supposed to be. We begin to make excuses and I become accustomed to the mess, and we start structuring our lives around the mess. We say, oh, I've got my mess, but I can't really do anything about it, so I'm just going to walk around it and just ignore it. And, and we begin to structure our lives around the mess. All of a sudden, we start managing our finances around our debt as opposed to, to eliminating our debt by managing our finances. Or we begin to, you know, to uh, adjust our clocks to, you know, because we run late all the time because we can't manage our time better as opposed to just learning to be disciplined with our time. Or, or with our eating habits, or whatever the mess is in your house, we begin to get comfortable with it. How many of you have been to someone's house, and you say, uh, you walk in, and it is just trashed? Has anyone been a guest in a house like that? I don't think it happens often, but just go to a house, and it is just trashed. And you sit down on the couch, and you just, you just don't even feel comfortable. You're like, what am I sitting on? What is that on the floor? Oh, God. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you feel uncomfortable. But the people that live there don't even realize that it's messy. They're so used to their disgust and their mess that they don't even realize it. And you feel so uncomfortable because you're not used to that that you, I, I, it's either I leave or I'm going to start cleaning it up. And you just start cleaning the place up because you can't take it anymore. But the people there, live, they're so comfortable with it. My wife wrote an unbelievably great blog um, just recently. And it was all about being comfortable um, in situations that should be uncomfortable. You know, she was saying that she doesn't go to bars because she doesn't want to be comfortable in that atmosphere. And once you become comfortable with it, you start hanging out there, and all, at first it might be shocking. I can't believe she's wearing that. Or 
God, that guy's drinking a ton, or you know, whatever the situation may be. It may be shocking at first, but the more you hang around it, the more you hang out with that group of friends, the more that you participate, or the more that you just observe. And you can even say, you know, I'm not even taking part in it. I'm just watching the show. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even in it. I'm just watching on TV, and so it's not a big deal. It's not, I'm not doing it, you know. But the more you are observing it, the more you are around it, the more you're like, well you know, this is a normal thing. I, I, maybe it's not that bad. And, and your contemplation turns into comfort. And comfort turns into capability. And all of a sudden, you start moving into the place where you're thinking, that might not be so bad. And then, so it starts off mentally. It starts off with a, with a level of comfort with that, with that mess in your house. And we start to say that, um, that it's, you know, it's just the norm or it's just the way it's going to be. And you know, that's just the way everyone does it. But God has a different standard than for you and for me. We may not realize that he's got a higher standard, and we can take care of the mess with God's power by inviting him into our house and saying, God, help me clean this up. We don't have to live the same way as the world. We don't have to be wrapped in debt. We don't have to, to have the materialism or, the, or the, you know, the sexual relationships or be bound to the sin in our lives that really may be fun for a season but will tear us, tear us apart. Number two, our number two response to the messes in our house is shame or guilt. Shame and guilt. It's like when Jesus moved on to the kitchen. Don't look at this, Jesus. I can take care of it. Just don't worry about this. It's the guy that, you know, takes all the dirty dishes and the dishwasher's full, so he, you know, puts them under the sink or he shows them the closet. You know, it's, it's trying to hide it. And that is exactly what Satan would like you to do. Take that mess be ashamed of it. Don't tell anyone about it. Keep it secret. Lock it in the closet. Don't let anyone see it. That's exactly what he'd like you to do, is to know, God, I know I keep you know, messing up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, or, I, you know, or I, God, I know I've got this problem, or you know, I've, I keep swearing or whatever. And you, know, you try to hide your sin or just hide the attitudes within you um, because Satan wants you to keep it secret. Because when you keep it secret, you don't have accountability. You don't have the strength of support to overcome that thing. You don't confess it to God, um, even though God may know it all. But you try to keep it hidden because you're ashamed. You feel guilty. But there's a difference between guilt and conviction. Can I say that there? Can I say that? Conviction is a good thing. I mean, even just in worship, I was feeling convicted because I, you know, I'm praising God and I look around, I see other people that I know have gone through or are going through a lot worse scenarios than I am in their life right now. But I find myself getting mad at God sometimes if things don't go well with me. And I'm like, God, you know, this guy, this gal is worshiping like crazy. And I know they're going through stuff. Forgive me for having a bad attitude. And conviction is a good thing. It's a, not guilt, not condemnation that Satan will try to impose on us, but conviction means that you are hearing God's voice. He is speaking. And it's not meant to condemn you. It's meant to bring you to a greater level of intimacy, a greater level of fulfillment in your life. But when we hide the sin, it will come out. There is subversive hidden sin in our lives, and it will find a way out. Sometimes it fulfills its plan. Sinful finds a way to fulfill its plan of death and destruction. Other times, out of God's mercy, will he bring it to light. Out of God's mercy, will he bring it to the surface and, and expose the sin. And that may, we may feel like, oh wow, he destroyed his life, but really, God was doing that person a favor by bringing it to light. We've seen leaders um, in the Bible, in our current day uh, Christian realm, that have been, had their, their, their mess brought to the public eye. But it's for a good thing. It's so God can bring reconciliation. Um, so that God can bring healing to that person. 
You think about David. And David, if you look in uh, 2 Samuel 12, God brought his junk to the public. For those of you who don't know, I'll give you a quick summary. David started off as king. Everyone, all the kings were supposed to go to war. David said, you know what? I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. I'm going to stay here. And so he just hung out where he was. And then one day from the palace, he looks down, and he sees a fine honey taking a shower. And he's like, wow, I want her. And all of a sudden, where he started off just you know, being comfortable in his home, turns into looking at the wrong things, turns into, uh, you know, he sleeps with a married woman, and then realizes she's pregnant, and then realizes her husband's at war, I'm going to take him out. So he puts him on the front lines, has him murdered. Okay, so huge, dramatic, like soap opera style scenario, right? Okay, but then he, try, he thinks, okay, I kind of got away scot-free, and so I'm just going to let it roll, you know. I'm just going just gonna to let it happen. And, uh, but God brought his stuff to the surface. In 2 Samuel 12, let me go back real quick. I just closed on it. So he wasn't addressing his mess. He wasn't saying, God, forgive me. I need to make this right. And so God said, okay, I'm going to bring it public. So he tells the prophet Nathan. Nathan goes to him and says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there are two men... So Nathan's telling the story to David. It says, There are two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had bought. He raised it, grew it up with him and his children, shared his food, drank from his cup, slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. And so you get this intimate story here. And then a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained uh, from taking one of his own sheep to prepare a meal for the traveler. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David heard this and thought, that's ridiculous. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the man lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a horrible thing and had no pity. Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. He didn't mean it like, hey, you're the man. No, he meant, you are that man. And David was broken over his sin. His sin was exposed to other people, was exposed to the public, and all of a sudden David, David exercised humility and addressed his sin. Now, he had a choice there. He could have rebelled. He could have taken out Nathan. He's the king. He could have done what he wanted to. Because the response number four is rebellion. It's pride. It's blatant disregard for God's will and his commands. And the result is a life of self-destructive indulgence and sin. You can respond with rebellion if you want to. And that is an option. You could say, you know what, God? Just like the video, this is my room. That's enough. This is my stuff. You can't touch it. I like my mess the way it is. I like this relationship I'm in. I like my finances the way they are. I like to treat people like I do. I like to talk like... Whatever it is, you can say, no, that's enough. And God's a gentleman. He'll let you live like that if you want. God, you can't come in my house. This is my house. He will let you do that to your own demise. But he wants more for you. He loves you. But David decided to go with response number four, which is... Humility. You say, Brian, how do you know that? If you look at Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is all about David's repentance. All about, it's a song that he wrote about 
about his, uh, about his humility and his repentance in that and his praying for forgiveness. And you can read over later. It's a long one. Verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Use my sin for good that I can teach others. And at the beginning of this, it says that this was written after Nathan came to him and confronted him. David exercised humility in the mess. He said, God, you're right, I do have a mess. And I may have been comfortable with it, I may have been ashamed and hidden it, but out of your mercy you've exposed it, that he could now be, as God called him in the Bible, a man after his own heart. This is a man that committed adultery and murder, and God calls him a man after his own heart because he addressed the mess and he invited Jesus in to forgive him and help him clean it up. That's humility. So what can we do about it now? Like I said, I know for myself, I've got messes in my house. That's the reason this message was put on me. It's because I know that there's stuff in my life, whether it be attitudes or... Um, you know, toward God or toward anyone or whatever it is, there's stuff in my life that I'm like, you know what, God, I have not got it all together yet. But maybe you're comfortable with your mess. I don't know. Maybe you're ashamed of it, so you don't want to let God in. I think some of you will get comfortable with the mess that they say, God, you know what, I'm fine on my own. I, I got this together because they're afraid that when Jesus comes in, that they're going to have to change things and they're comfortable with the way things are. I don't want to change anything. I don't want to be a heterosexual. I don't want to you know, not get drunk on the weekends, or I don't want to. Do it. It's not about that. God wants intimacy. Let him begin to clean up the mess. That's all he wants is intimacy. Let him do the work. You just have to let him in. Open the door, let him in. But he wants in. He wants to, be, to love you. What can you do? If you want to pray... Pray Psalm 139.23, which says, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that God would reveal those messages to you. Confess it to a pastor, to someone in authority, to a friend. Have someone pray for you. But let God address the mess. Let him into your heart even if it's just the rooms. And like I said, even if you've been a seasoned Christian for a long time, I hope you're still feeling conviction as a Christian. I hope that God is still addressing messes because you will never get it all right. You will never have it all cleaned up. And if you haven't invited God into your heart, don't feel like you can clean up your house ahead of time. I'm going to get it straight before I invite Jesus and I want to be embarrassed. He already knows about it. You can't clean up the mess. You can't. You need Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to live in your house and begin to work out those messes. So if you guys want to bow your heads with me, I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. I just want to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that you love us. Thank you so much, God, that you want to clean up the mess, that you're not here to condemn us, that you're not here to to rub it in our faces, but you love us so much. You want to clean up our mess for us. You want to help us to get our lives straightened out and that we can be more useful for your kingdom, that we can enjoy life and have a life um, that's lived with liberty and freedom.